Hang on. Hello, Zan. Hi. Hello. Hello. Oh, yeah. Tuning in. Are you there? When you're a little kid, how did your parents answer the phone? I'm just thinking about the way you just started um, there. Oh, yeah. Hello. Uh, still the same way that they do now. Dad answers Eddie Warhurst. Why dad does the same? <laughs> Mal Rowe. <laughs> Why do dads do that? I don't know. And then like when we were little, we used to remember our phone number. 242-242-83-242-no-was-it-242-83. That means there's only six numbers. That says how old I am when home phone numbers were No, only, nine in front. No, yeah. Or eight. It was 03-242-83. Isn't that amazing? My question with both of these things remains, if you know who you're calling, why is the person on the other end confirming that with a name or a phone number? Well, <laughs> How I, many times are you getting a wrong number in order for you to literally answer the phone with the details oh, that see, you assume the other person on the line already knows? No, this is where I think you're wrong. There was a lot of mistakes made on those... Of course, rotary phones. And also when people answered the phone, you didn't know if you were going to get dad or you were going to get the nephew or the son or the daughter or the mum. That was the thing. Remember the race to answer the phone? Shit, I'll get right. it. We didn't have our own personal phones. No. You had to wait to go through the gatekeeper. That's right. Whoever was in charge of the phone, wow. which is usually mum or dad, but kids would run to the phone all the time. And, you know, when teenagers... Voices drop. It's hard to tell the difference between the young <laughs> young gents and the fathers in the households. <laughs> Welcome to Bang On, your podcast from two women born literally in the last century, mm. um, capturing the week in pop culture, music, art, life and stuff in 2020, mm. not rotary phones. Can we just take a moment to say shout-outs to Dolly Parton who oh. has cured coronavirus this week? <laughs> well, look, she's she's done a lot in she's her time. She's done a lot. She's done a lot for marginalised communities. She's done a lot for women. She's done a lot for young children with her book charity where she donates a book to every child uh, in her state forever, which is, is amazing. Is the Butterfly Project? Is Something that like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, she's amazing. And and this week there was some finally some good news. A new vaccine, Moderna, was uh, proven to be quite promising. It's an experimental vaccine. But as you look through the list of donors to this vaccine and, and the people that have contributed the financial the cost, it, yeah. yeah, guess who's on that list? Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton. What, <laughs> who else would be on that list but Dolly Parton? Isn't that amazing? She. I remember when she gave this donation, it was $1 million of her own money to the Vanderbilt Institute for Infection, Immunology and Inflammation to support this development. And this is one of two vaccines, um, Moderna and Pfizer, that have come out this week, mm. uh, showing promising um, a promising vaccine result for America and for you know obviously broadly the world. But the the other great connection with this is, first of all, it's working, which is so good and so exciting that we can get back mm. to some sort of normal sometime in the next year or so. But it was also the connection with this particular institute is Naji Abumrod who is involved in research, and if you don't know who that is, remember the Dolly Parton's America podcast. That's the doctor. That's the doctor. His son, Jad Abumrod, who is a great podcaster, has made that fantastic podcast, Radio Lab, for years and years. And he basically got the hookup to meet and chat with Dolly Parton because his dad and Dolly are mates. Yeah. A long story. We won't even go into that about how they became friends. But I love that now we've been gifted not only with Dolly Parton's America, the podcast, but with a goddamn coronavirus vaccine (laughs) because of this relationship. And very fittingly, 
Twitter going wild at the news. Here are a couple of highlights. Oh, so cute. Liz Lenz said, Shakespeare may have written King Lear during the plague, but Dolly Parton funded a COVID vaccine, dropped a Christmas album and a Christmas special. Uh, And Zara Rahim also said, Dolly Parton can cure COVID, but COVID could never write Jolene and I will always love you in the same day. Oh, my God. (laughs) So good. Dolly, the hero we all needed this week because there aren't that many. And I say, next election... Dolly Parton. Vote Dolly. Vote Dolly. So good. Um, well, we started off today, Zan, talking about things that happened back in the 80s, which was home phones. Something else that happened back in the 80s was Princess Diana, who, well, Lady Diana, who entered the realm of royalty. Diana Spencer. When she married. Back in the day. Charlie. And that is. I love it how you call him Charlie. Charlie's getting married <laughs> at last. <laughs> I'm st- like I said, hate royalty, obsessed with the royals. Um, and uh, that is the, the content of the new series of The Crown. That's yeah, just season four. Come out. Season four. We're so excited. Mm. We already talked about the trailer for this a few weeks ago. It kicked off last Sunday. This is one of those rare occurrences where people were literally checking what time it would be on Netflix. I know. A lot of excitement about this new series. I've watched the first two episodes. How much have you watched? I think I've watched about four. I want to say that. It all starts to run into one another after a while. I don't know. Keep playing. (laughs) The old keep playing uh, next episode. But it is, um, it's so visually spectacular, these shows. Like particularly there's a lot of, in the first couple of episodes, there's a lot of time spent in Balmoral Mm. and just those gorgeous wide shots of the Scottish countryside Mm. are so beautiful. Um, But I saw and I was doing the same again whenever a new season of The Crown comes around People were kind of tweeting that they were just madly Wikipediaing whether to or not- see what was true and what wasn't, like fact checking the crown because it is a fictionalized series of events, you know, based on real people and a very famous family. I think that's where this season is running into a few problems for me. Mentally, I can't quite get my head around it because it is based on true events, but I think it's so close to our recent history and still so raw that it's hard for me to divorce the reality from the fictionalised so-called reality of this show. It it feels far too based on every single real event that happened that we know of Mm. and yet it is fiction and we haven't really had the time and the history and the distance in between that to decide what is actually completely true and, and, and what isn't. I think when you're dealing with previous centuries or generations or decades, there's a little bit more space and time and you kind of it's not as important to know all the facts necessarily you just get more of a broad brush stroke of, of what the whole time was like but i think with this era it feels a bit it feels a bit dangerous to me in a way to be showing such recent events and fictionalising them. I'm just not sure. I guess because it has so much to do with the rest of the world and and things that happened in the world at that time. That still have an impact today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm I'm not sure. I'm still straddling the fence on this one. I, I really love the series. But this series feels heavy and dark and probably for all the wrong reasons. I always wonder whether anyone who was close to the family or even part of the family ever watches it. I particularly, oh, they have to. They have to. Well, they, yeah, but I particularly wonder this and I look at the way that certain characters are portrayed and I'm just like, oh, that must be rough watching that if that's you or someone close to you. Hmm. You shared a really interesting article from Simon Jenkins in The Guardian who basically 
yeah, you're, as you're saying, kind of argues that artistic license is used too freely in this series of The Crown. And he actually says, you know, whether he means it li- literally or not, there should be an F for fiction kind of like, mm. you know, you've got your PG, your AO, speaking of last century. Um <laughs> But an F for fiction in the corner of the screen. And while I do, I absolutely agree with you that Mm. you can be absolutely emotionally manipulated by this show because Mm. it is very well done, very high production values. And because it's so well acted, you do fall into this and you start thinking this is actually the way it went. But I still think that that the way that he describes it in this Guardian piece, and we'll put it in the show notes, it kind of underestimates viewers' intelligence. That's true. I don't agree with everything he says. Either I just thought it was an interesting, an interesting perspective on it. But yeah, I think the fact that like me and many other people, our first knee jerk reaction is, did this actually happen? And mm. we're googling it and Wikipedia. Did she it. really roller skate in Buckingham Palace? <laughs> did she, La- did she Lady really Di? first meet Charles dressed as, as a, a tree, tree in Midsummer Night's Dream? <laughs> Spoiler alert! Sorry, that comes very I mean, early that's, in the Someone series. said online that's baller if she did like, <laughs> like roller skate up and down the halls of Buckingham Palace, like, whoa. But also taking a step back, like some of these things, knowing what we do know about the royal family and just how incredibly protected and protective they are, I don't think any, like some of these things we will, we can't have known and we'll never know. Mm. You know, they're they're very private um, and they're very protective of their privacy, but also a lot of these moments are very isolated and alone. How would you know this happened? How mm. would you know that these letters were written or things were said? It's impossible to know that. So maybe I'm being, I don't know, maybe I have a more cynical um, gaze on it. I love the series, but I'm well aware that a lot of it has been dramatised just because it doesn't seem logical to me. That How would you know that happened? Mm. But I don't know. I can't obviously speak for the millions of viewers that watch it. Yeah. There's a list basically that's been put together of all the things that are incorrect in the series and you can find that in the show notes. But oh, one... Also, when you check that, know that there's a couple of spoilers, which yeah. I just checked and things hadn't oh, happened. Oh, really? Didn't ruin it for me, but just okay. if you want to be completely surprised. Um, but it failed to include something that I found in the letters section. I'm not entirely sure which publication this came from, but it's obviously English. Uh, it could be to one of the, the dailies there because it's on paper. So it's a letter to the editor. It said, <laughs> sir. I'll bring it on. As staunch royalists, my wife and I decided to watch the new series of The Crown so that we could pick away at its inaccuracies and untruths. Harsh way to start watching a series, really. <laughs> I'm ready to hate watch. Yeah, hating, hating already. However, despite the ample warnings in the press, we were unprepared for the depth of injustice on display, particularly towards Prince Charles. Right, wait for this. The show's portrayal of his fishing technique was utterly unjustifiable. <laughs> <laughs> of to, all the things. To imagine that any self-respecting fisherman would allow his line to touch down so <laughs> catastrophically is bad enough. But to then suggest that such a cast could possibly result in the landing of a fine salmon <laughs> is tantamount to gross, almost criminal negligence. Never has a television series managed to lose all credibility with such a plum. <laughs> Dominic Witherow. Dominic, my hero. In Surrey. How good's that? Oh, man. Got the fishing wrong. Pretty sure they got the shooting of the, the deer wrong too, whatever whatever sad <laughs> creature that was too. Oh, I Spoiler hated alert. that. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Lots of hunting. They're, they're, they're a gross family. 
but I love it. It's called conservation. That's one of the things that I picked up. It's called (laughs) conservation. That was news to me. Uh, Looking forward to the rest of the season. I'm panning it out. Are you? Saving it. I'm trying to say, sorry, I'm not panning it out. Were you that kid kid at at like Easter that got all your chocolates and you just, you had them like slowly, slowly and other kids had to eat all theirs real quick and have none? Of course you were. (laughs) You and my brother. You and my brother. This week, South Australia has gone into a very hard Aww. lockdown. Love Full to you, on. South Australia. Yeah, sending all the good vibes your way. We know how it is. This is an even tougher lockdown. Everything's closed. Um, Although they did, someone did say online, and I remember going, it's someone from Victoria, obviously, going, ah, oh, six days lockdown. Cute. <laughs> it's not a competition. We know how it feels. And yeah, you know what? Awful. I reckon it's bloody great that the government got out ahead and just went, shut this shit down. Um, I wish mm. that our government, uh, even though we quashed it, it took four months to do it. So all mm. the love and strength and support going your way. I did see, because there's been a lot of Victorians tweeting about this. Um, but and we, ma- love, we love giving unsolicited <laughs> opinions We're on just, how to deal with lockdown. Yes. Um, your mate Joel Creasy tweeted, Adelaide. Emily in Paris. That is all. And I was kind of like, what does he mean? I was like, oh, this is exactly, it's the mindless comfort TV that we all need in lockdown. And you shared a great piece with me in the New Yorker this week about that particular show, but as a kind of stepping stone into this idea of ambient television. What does that mean, ambient television? Well, Kyle Chaker is the author behind this one. And ambient TV, it's suggested that ambient TV is as ignorable as it is interesting, which essentially means is you can watch it, you can consume it, you can engage with it, but you can also do other things. Mm. Um, And Kyle is suggesting that that this is the new way that streaming services like Netflix will hook you in. It's not necessarily about the, the, the big prestige television shows anymore that require a whole lot of dissecting and discussion and what does this mean, what does the ending mean, what did that, that character, character um, uh, portrayal mean at that moment. None of that. It's actually about giving you stuff that you can kind of binge on and just let flow without really having to engage in to look Second at second screening to look at other things yeah. to clean the house to just not even really pay attention but every time you look up it's not complex enough to think anything really dramatic might have happened but you'll still get a nice view and Emily in Paris has somehow turned up as the prime example of such television and it makes perfect sense because every time I'm pretty sure I did everything else I could while I hate watched that show but every time renovated my home I did actually I genuinely did and every time I looked up and and this article actually mentions it too every time I've got oh look there's a cobblestone laneway or look there's the Eiffel Tower I'm still in Paris oh I feel good but this is not new. This is not a new phenomenon. I, they tried it with the thing called slow TV, yes, which the article mentioned, and, and I we spoke l- about that. I love that, love yeah. that. But this is a very different thing. This is this is still suggesting that you can have narrative, or at least you can have some sort of journey that isn't simply beginning, middle, and end. But there's something happening on the outskirts, not too much, but it still looks really pretty and beautiful, and it's digestible enough. It's like it's like white bread. 
essentially. Even the characters are mostly white bread in, yeah. in what the author calls ambient TV. Uh, he mentioned another one. It's that home renovation show, which I've also watched. And gosh, God knows why. Most boring home renovation show of all. But, I'm, you know, I go to sleep to it every night. It's called Dream Home Makeover. And it's just two white people and their white children in their house in... Um, it's not Utah. It's one of those sort of middle Yeah, America. Salt Lake City in Utah. Salt, oh, yeah, yeah, it is. They have a house that looks like it could be off a, you know, a plot that you buy 17 of the same. It's Everything's beige. Everything's beige. Everything's minimal. And I watched it all. I'm like, well, it's just on the same house again. Doesn't matter what the outside is. <laughs> same house. Looks good. Looks good. Doesn't offend me. Doesn't offend my eyes. I thought that that particular part of this article was really interesting mm. that that the whiteness of ambient TV, that it's mm. predicated on this idea of a homogenous perspective, you mm. know, that any diversity or discordance would disrupt the smooth lulling surface, <laughs> which sucks, you totally know. You sucks. think about what we're being fed and the article brings up another show featuring a black couple of interior designers that only had one season run and was never featured as a kind of, you know, in the trending now, which I always wonder, is it really trending or is Netflix just telling me it's trending? Like, are you just feeding this to me? But it's it's a fascinating article um, about ambient TV that goes way back to the very beginnings too of soap opera as being, you know, remember when if I ever had a sick day, you just sort of put the soap opera on and you'd literally, because I'd have a sick day once and then maybe two or three months later, I'd watch it again and be like, nothing's happened. Because, But that's the whole point of it. And the origins of the name soap opera is because it both was used to sell ads during the day to mainly housewives, so often cleaning products, but also to reflect what housewives were doing. So they could put the TV on, have some quote-unquote company, have a bit of entertainment while they were doing the chores, while they were using the soap to clean the house. Mm. These are all the things that I kind of clicked and learned through this article. So it's not a new concept, but it's really interesting to see that, again, when we are we're being fed more than any other time so much content through so many platforms. I don't have an aerial, I've got a smart TV, so everything that I watch is streaming on demand and yet still there's this almost cable TV or there's only two channels on the TV mentality of just putting it on and leaving it on and that's succeeding in this model where we've got more content than ever but we're just being sucked into this single track of content and Emily in Paris is renewed for a second season even though it was critically panned panned, but commercially (laughs) bloody a hit because People love that shit. Because, yeah, it's easy to watch. And I think this says a lot about the types of things that, that we see. You mentioned soap opera, but um, the Real Housewives franchise is the same. Yeah. It's the same concept in different cities. So the same level of bitchiness and glamour and ridiculousness in a different city. But just with a little new, different kind of character that you can be like, oh, that's the good person, that's the bad yeah. person, that's the, you know. Yeah, and I love those shows. Slight. I you know, have those on in the background forever. That's fine. I've been doing this stuff for years. This is <laughs> this is why I'm into real estate programs as well. Like it's ambient TV is my jam. I'm all about the food programs, all the yeah. chef's table, but then all the, the t- food. street food chronicles, the all that sort of stuff. It does make me feel calm. Yeah, yeah. And it's, look, to be honest, I think it's probably not great for us, but I think it's Better than having the news on 24-7. Now, Miff, I don't want to spend too much time talking about Mm. Pete Evans for obvious reasons, but I did see this week that in the midst of the shit show of the latest social media posts he's done, it was kind of announced that he was going to be part of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, and then within a day or so it was announced that he was dropped from the program. Mm. I immediately thought of you 
for so many reasons, most notably that you were on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here at the start of this, this year. year. So that was I know. not and five years ago. That was the start of this year. Can I just say I am so thankful I got Miguel as the chef <laughs> in our crew and not, and not Pete Evans because <laughs> I reckon I would have headbutted him a few times, you know. You had a pretty good crew. We had a great crew. We had a really nice crew and that's why I'm really um, I'm a little – confused by the decision to put someone as divisive as Pete Evans in because our series was one of the most successful ever. They raised so much money. People really watched it because, you know, it was time, it was during the bushfires and people wanted something that was really absolute opposite to the life that they were living at that time. And escape. And it's very much a family show. So I was really confused by the inclusion of somebody as divisive as Pete Evans. And um, it was proven this week that that was a bad decision because he proceeded to post something on Facebook, which he's now deleted, that showed an image of uh, that was uh, adopted by the Christchurch mass killer, um, a neo-Nazi symbol which he's da- he suggested he didn't know, but he did. There was He wrote a post going, I was waiting for someone to recognise that. Mm. Um, I'm just really surprised I went for him in the first place. Yeah, it's not like this is new behaviour. And no. I'm like you, I was really disappointed to see that he was up for being as part of this new series and relieved, frankly, that Channel 10 said no. If they'd gone ahead with it still for the sole purpose of ratings, which is the only reason that they would, and I understand commercial television, Mm. it's got to sell ads, that's the deal, but not to the detriment of public health and to an increasing divisiveness, which is I think we're all pretty done with a divided nation, a divided Mm. world. Yeah. Um, I was so relieved to see that they pulled the plug on Pete Evans and I'm really hoping that the whole ignore him and he'll go away will start working soon. I hope so. And look, I'm pretty sure that Huey from Huey's Cooking Adventures wouldn't mind a gig. It's been a while. Um, Gabrielle Gatte. Oh, he's a sweetheart. I love Gabrielle Gatte. What other former chefs could Peter be? Peter Russell Clark. Oh, my God. Peter Russell Clark. Can you imagine the F-bombs that would drop in the jungle? Magnificent. They drop anyway, so it doesn't matter. It's... It, it would be great. There's loads of people that would love a gig and, and this is the year when everyone's out of gigs. You can get anyone you like. But I think they might have splashed all their cash on Pete Evans, which is also quite astounding. Oh, God. Thank God he's not going to be there. Yeah. Thank God he's not going to be in the jungle to get out of the jungle. And you know what? I'm really thankful. I got to go to South Africa. I wouldn't want to do I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here in Australia. Is that where it's happening? Yeah. Can't leave. Can't leave. In summer. There's no way. There's way more things. I mean, sure, we had panthers and um, death adders and no fences. black mumbo uh, snakes that could kill us and scorpions. But tell you what, huntsman spiders here in Australia... <laughs> If there'd been those in the bush, I wouldn't have lasted a day. Box jellyfish, I'm out. Exactly. <laughs> Sharks. No way. That's and also not fun. No fun. I got to go on a on a safari. I got to stay in, a, in this amazing, like beautiful hotel. Yeah. What do you do in in Australia? You go to the Palazzo Versace <laughs> for a for a sort of a, 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 a you know high level celeb time? No. Not interested. It's out the back of the Gold Coast as well. Who wants to go there? You love it's that hotel. beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> but like that's not that's not the point. But not look, good on them for keeping it going. But I'm just glad it wasn't me this year. <laughs> All the best. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my God. Really quickly, while Mm. we're in the antipodes, can we just give a shout-out to the New Zealand Bird of the Year, Mm. the Kakapo, 
The world's fattest parrot has won the New Zealand Bird of the Year. Congratulations, Kakapo. Known also as the mighty moss chicken, the world's heaviest <laughs> and longest living parrot. Oh, I love, I love this. They've come back after uh, close to extinction. I think that there are now 213 in oh. New Zealand. Um, it was edging around only 50 Kakapos in the 1990s, but um, humans rallied and saved them. And, of course, if you're wondering who a kakapo or what a kakapo is, one of the most famous kakapos is Sirocco, who – Sirocco, I should say – is Sirocco, who – do you remember that video of that BBC documentary? Oh, Stephen Fry's doco, which shagged by a rare parrot. <laughs> Bird <laughs> basically screwing this His zoologist's head. head and Stephen Fry saying, he's really going for it. <laughs> That's he, a kakapo. Yeah, you've just been shagged by a rare <laughs> parrot. Well deserved. Congratulations, yeah. Kakapo. The only election results we have this week <laughs> and the only re- election results that we are going with this week. That's right. Every other week has been politics. <laughs> this week is the most important race of all. Um, now, what are you banging on about, Dan? I'm banging on about the good old-fashioned pool. Oh, I thought you were going to say poo. <laughs> it's like, oh, you've had a big morning. So it must have been good. Fibre. <laughs> no, I'm banging on about the going pill. to the pool because it's getting warmer all over Australia and where we are in Victoria, um, it's been beautiful weather. Mm. And the other kicker is that we can finally get out and about and pools are open again. And just the the delight of immersing yourself in water can't be understated. Everybody knows it. No one ever regrets a swim. I actually, because I'm me kind of love that you have to book in for a swim because it means I can't just be like, oh, I might go for a swim. I've committed to doing two swims Mm. a week and I book an appointment. I get my 50 minutes at the local pool um, and I go for a splishy splashy. I'm not doing laps. No. I'm just, I, well, they call it You're aqua supposed play. to. You're aqua supposed play. to. Aqua play. Goodness There's me. two lines, lanes for aqua play and that's my splishy splashy time. That sounds, that sounds almost um, something else. Not sure. Um, I highly recommend it. If you've got a beach near you, this, some sort of body of water. Is this on par with paddle steamers? Yeah. <laughs> Have you had a busy week? Is there nothing else that you... Oh, I, have, I have had a busy week, but I've squeezed in two swims, so I can't be that busy. Yeah, that's true. Um, P.S. I went to water aerobics on Monday. Oh, my God, really? Yeah, it was the best. It's so good. It was the best. I had to book in, same thing. Yeah. Um, we had our 45 minutes and I felt like I was just elated for the rest of the day. It's like, very good resistance. It's really good. Low impact, good on the joints. Oh, yes, because now that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes, it's happening. Women of a certain falling age. apart. <laughs> um, highly recommend it. I'm actually going to be near a body of water this weekend. Are you with me? Yeah, we're going. We're, we're going, going to the beach house. We're going to the beach, beach, beach. Um, come and see a leech, leech, <laughs> leech. <laughs> no matter how cold the water is, I'm going to dive in every day. I'm there. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I'm so excited. good. Ocean Healing swims. power. Healing power of ocean swims. Nothing like it. What are you banging on about? Um, I have been listening to another audio book. Because I've been driving and I've been renovating, continuing to do so. Uh, this one, I don't know who recommended it to me or, or why I downloaded it. I've subsequently found out it's a bestseller in America. Uh, it has been for ages and a very unexpected bestseller. It's called Where the Crawdads Sing. I don't know if you've heard of it. It sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah, it's it, the, the story behind it is quite amazing. It's written by uh, an American wildlife scientist and her name is Delia Owens. 
and she's 70 years old. So this is her first novel. Wow. Um, and it's now been bought up by Reese with a spoon and she'll put her Reese with a spoonies all over it and make it something that we'll all watch. And but it, you, you know, it's it's a it's a, a, a coming of age story for a lonely, very, very lonely girl who grows up in the marshes of North Carolina. And you know, at first I was like, oh, this is boring. It's, you know, Huckleberry Finn and it's a bit YA and it's and it's really sad too. Like this poor girl is just she's abandoned by her parents essentially in this really difficult time in the US. So, you know, obviously women had no agency and so she she basically brings herself up and she's she's at one with the nature that surrounds her and wow. she doesn't go to school or anything like that but she's, she's very much into everything of the marshes and, and that eventually becomes her saviour. But at first I was like, oh, God, you know, Ugh. I don't know why. I just I, I just get a bit funny, a bit bored about with, you know, that. I think I'm a bit past it. Um, but then it turns into an adult novel and I'm loving it, absolutely loving it. I'm, awesome. I'm one of the millions. And the publishing company that only printed 28,000 on the initial run of this book in America were probably the same as me thinking, oh, it probably won't go, won't, it's not that good. So it's a new start. book. It's a new book. But it's the debut novel of a 70-year-old author. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's beautifully written um, and uh, beautifully drawn as well if you've got no idea of what the marshes of North Carolina mm. are like. Uh, it, it's it's amazing. But, yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's it's a wild ride but it's it's better than it started. It's finishing well. I'm almost finished. I've got an hour to go, Zan. Unreal. Okay, I'll put that in the show notes as well. I'm loving all these oh, audio book suggestions. And don't listen if you're feeling lonely either. If okay. you're in Adelaide and you're in lockdown on your own. Emily in Paris. Emily in Paris for you, not this book. Okay, that's a good not PSA this book. too. Yeah. All right, let's go to the beach. Sweet. Unreal. How good. <laughs> Splishy, splashy. Yay. We'll bang on next week. Yeah. See you then. on.